guys. We are here with an interesting format for us. This is Bonnie and Karen from Deconversion Therapy, and we're going to be talking to Clint Haycock from the Mind Shift podcast and uh, kind of doing a group group broadcast, if you will. He's got a great podcast about uh, ex-evangelicals and deconverting and a whole bunch of great interviews on his podcast that are phenomenal. Um, so this is the first of the experiments. Say something, guys, because... No. We're no. Not, we're going to leave you hanging. I, I just enjoy listening to you talk. Bah, <laughs> it sounded bah, bah. so good. You just keep going. This is Karen, and I just want to say that Clint is intelligent and thoughtful and studious, so we're going to fake intelligence <laughs> and, you know... Again, I have the hand on the edit button, so if we come out looking intelligent at all, it's a trick of mirrors. Yeah, uh. smoke and mirrors. Well, so, that, that's, yeah, I was going to say that's that's just the way I approach my podcast. You know, just, I used to be a Bible college teacher. I was into academics big time, so I just, I, that's just my orientation, I guess, is to kind of approach these topics from a, a little bit maybe a, of an academic point of view. I don't know, but... Who knows? But I love to have a good laugh too. So I love your show as well because obviously those stories that you talk about they they resonate so much with my time in evangelicalism too. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, we've got that yin yang, you know, mm-hmm. for anyone who needs it because I know a lot of our followers. Some of the things that they talk about with their struggles are, you know, still trying to get rid of guilt. Or believing mm-hmm. hell is real and being fearful. And that's when some of the academic stuff can come in and be really helpful. And we usually mm-hmm. point them away. Like, Somewhere else. Away <laughs> and go away. Go look for some good go stuff. Go look elsewhere. <laughs> that's right. That's oh, right. my gosh. Your, your most recent episodes about, um, about the election and cognitive dissonance, they were so oh, dense man. with information. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, but it's all about different backgrounds and experiences. I mean, the only reason I got into those just about the prophecies, that's what I, I did three back-to-back-to-back episodes on the failed Trump prophecies, all these charismatic figures making all these confident predictions that, that Trump was going to get reelected. And once I started going down that rabbit hole, I just kept going and going. In fact, I was—I should have done one this weekend, but I've, I'm kind of burning out on it. So <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this so we can, we can have a laugh because I need a break from that too. The confidence in the prophecies, that's the most uh, hilarious part. I don't understand certainty. what either of you are talking about because <laughs> Eric Metaxas just said Trump should go ahead and start picking his cabinet because oh, God. He, he won, won it. <laughs> yes, he did. If you discount all the millions of illegal fraudulent votes, he absolutely won in a landslide. That's what they're saying now. I mean, they're repeating his conspiracy theories. It's hilarious but kind of sad to watch them flailing. They're trying to explain it all the way. And it's, you know, yeah, it's an unbelievable storyline that's just it's continuing even as we speak. Right. Right. Because for people who aren't aware of cognitive dissonance, uh, give us the nut or the the brief version of what that is and how they're making it known to us. I well, mean, these articles are hitting all the mainstream press, too, about how his, oh, yeah. his followers are victims of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, well, that's it. And it comes from a book. It's called When Prophecy Fails. 
It was written back in the 50s. It's a fascinating book. I don't want to get too much into the book, but it's actually a real-life story of a group of psychiatrists, psychologists that infiltrated a cult. It's This has really actually happened in real life, and they, they kind of posed as cult members as this woman was predicting the end of the world. And, of course, her prediction <laughs> didn't come to pass that these saucer people were going to come down and destroy the world and take them off to safety and all the rest of it. And they followed the whole thing. And after it was all over and she was proven to be a false prophet, the, the followers didn't abandon her. They actually doubled down <laughs> mm-hmm. and and went dug deeper into the complete fabrication of the prophecy. And this is exactly what we're seeing now. So you're hit with what they call disconfirming evidence, something that shows clearly these prophets were wrong. But rather than admitting they were wrong, they have to reduce that feeling of dissonance so that's what they're doing now. They're coming up with all sorts of crazy explanations as to why they weren't wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so they're doubling yeah. down. And now, I mean, we've all been in arguments like that before, but sure. they used to be when we were younger and we're mm-hmm. just <laughs> talking with someone who does not want to be wrong no matter what. Yeah. But yeah. these, yeah, attach it to meaning and all that. Bonnie, mm-hmm. who was the guy we talked about that did that? The one that bought all the billboards. We did an episode. Bonnie did oh, the yeah. research. And oh, he predicted one end date of the, you know, the globe, whatever, the right. world. End of the world. And then he, then he was like, oh, crap, I messed up on my calculations and he changed the dates. <laughs> so he punched and- <laughs> his Casio watch again and was like, Whoops, forgot to carry the one. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Did but it again? It, it but starts it was, make good. Yeah. Well, it was tens of thousands of dollars and right. tons of people who are following Absolutely. this. Yeah. Yeah. There's been so many. I mean, look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's probably the prime example. Over the, the decades, uh, over a hundred and some years ago, they were predicting the end of the world. But it hasn't destroyed the, obviously, it hasn't destroyed the Jehovah's Witness religion. It's bigger mm-hmm. than ever. Right. You know, so there's a classic example when prophecy fails, they don't abandon the religion. They actually dig in deeper. And this well, is exactly what we're seeing now. Yeah. And so with the election, does that make you think that, well, almost half of the people who live in the U.S. are the type of people who just can never admit they're wrong? Well, I don't know. I mean, I know, I know. statistically they're saying 52% of all Republicans believe that Trump actually won the election and it was rigged system. And so they're buying almost half of Republicans are buying into those conspiracy theories that they're spinning. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and a great number of those are obviously Trump supporting evangelicals. So yeah. I don't know where the math comes in, but it's got to be a big number in terms of percentages. Yeah. And Bonnie and I have talked about this before, like for them to think that liberals um or voters for Biden, let me say, cheated. Mm-hmm. We are not that organized. We <laughs> yeah. just and we good even, point. We make good it point. <laughs> Evangelicals all watch one news source. Yeah. Um, now it's maybe going to be two, and they meet at least once a week, and have some kind of online fellowship going right now, where mm-hmm. their message is dispersed. Our side is just generally a bunch of, you know, disparate belief systems and different ideals. 
and then that's how, you know, we got this vote going across. So mm-hmm. we're just not that organized, but they are definitely doubling down within their oh, communities absolutely. and, you know, where they're hearing all the bullshit. And well, I'm and on where's Parler. Where's it going to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Where is it going to go? That's what I'm fascinated about. Where is the whole thing going to end up? Because... Well, I guess I think what it's going to do, I've already seen it. They're These prophets, they're actually turning around oh and blaming the church. They're saying, if the, it's the church's <laughs> fault. You guys were asleep. That You didn't do what we said to do. If you'd have done what we would have said to do, Trump would have won. So it's mm. the church's fault. <laughs> so right. it's just classic. Eating so when they blame. say wow. they didn't do what they said to do, does that mean more people vote? Yeah, they didn't get out and vote. I heard a guy on one of these channels say that basically the church was asleep. And didn't listen mm-hmm. to the words of the prophets, and they did, and not enough evangelicals voted for Trump. If they had done what they said to told them to do, he would have won. So it's not their fault. And is this guy <laughs> recording from his car? We're getting a lot of. It could be yeah. a lot could be of a certain Pastor Locke. Are you talking yes. about? Yes, and there's a <laughs> yeah. few others, and they yeah. just love to sit in their car and sort of yell uh, their yeah, message. Rant. Yeah, I'm I've like, seen where some are you parked? Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something That's that true. you mentioned in one of your podcasts, and I don't remember which one, I'm sorry, it was about the origin of of when all of this started, when the, the people, at, uh, I guess maybe when they were trying to get Reagan mm-hmm. nominated or voted in, yeah. uh, they decided, okay, this is a great bunch of people who we're mm-hmm. going to try to mobilize into voting. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. said, he said, you can't endorse me, but I can endorse you. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, and, but it goes back to when we were kids in church and they would hand out mm-hmm. little, little pieces of paper, like here, here's who to vote for. If you want to be, uh, you know, on Jesus's mm-hmm. side. And they're doing it now. I mean, voter guides, that's what they call yeah. it, isn't it? So you have groups like the Family Research Council and other groups, massive mega groups, part, <clears throat> excuse me, part of the focus on the family, and they go out and they, they mobilize Christians to vote and, and get involved in politics, and that mm-hmm. all goes back to, like you say, well, they were reacting against Jimmy Carter, and uh, they turned on him, really, which is weird, because he was actually an evangelical, and <laughs> that's the funny <laughs> thing. Know. He truly was a Christian. But, yeah, but he and wasn't yet, a they phony. Threw him down. <laughs> Yeah, he was a liberal. That was the problem. That's exactly it. I was saying that was my first partisan uh, experience. We were in elementary school. We had to sell those damn world's finest chocolate bars. (laughs) They came out with the almond ones later. Finest. Knocking on doors in South Florida where we're from. And one man said, oh, that's sweet. And what school are you from? And I'm like, Baptist school. And yeah. he said, Baptist, Baptist, Jimmy Carter's Baptist. I hate Baptist. And slammed the door. I don't want your chocolate. And I, yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, but it's the But finest. it's good chocolate. Um, but, I sold that crap too, man. Yeah. And yep. then fundraisers. Ate all the ones that didn't sell. But it yep. makes me see it in a different light now. Then I just thought, that guy is lost. You know, he's not a Christian. Pray for him. Yeah. Uh, And he didn't buy your chocolate either. Didn't buy my fucking chocolate. I had to eat it. That was the most terrifying thing is going around the neighborhood to people's doors. It was training us. It was training us. us. Yeah. Yeah. Training for evangelism. Well, I used to send them, I'd send them to to work with my dad. 
that was a winner because he worked at Boeing in Seattle. So he would take a big box uh, of them and all of uh, his coworkers would just buy them all. You know, I'm like, sweet. It's a win-win. I'm right. not going door to door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending them to, to, to work with dad and he'll sell them all for me. I'll take orders. Okay. So um, give us a little bit about you. You grew up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, How yeah. are there Christians in Seattle? <laughs> I thought it was just... I was the last one, I think, and I left. <laughs> we got so you, out. So you grew up in Seattle, but now you live in North Wales in the UK. Yes. So how That's did you true. end up there? We ended up here. We've been here just about almost 15 years now. We, I did a PhD over here, and that's what brought me over. We came across on a student visa, mm-hmm. and so we just stayed on. Basically, we, we got to the 10-year point, and then we were able to apply for indefinite leave to remain, which is basically like citizenship. We could we could actually get British British citizenship if we wanted to, but it's a lot of more, a lot more money. But mm-hmm. they can't kick us out. Basically, is the is the short version. So that's how we ended up over here. So if you haven't been listening uh, to certain episodes, you wouldn't have heard how Bonnie is desperate to move there. She's picked really? out her house. She's yeah. and and now it's just Downton Abbey. <laughs> she's no. putting it out there. She uh, you went there during college too, right, Bonnie? I went there in college. Then I went to, to see a Robbie Williams concert in like Ooh. 2013, and uh, then then a couple more trips recently. But I've narrowed down, like she says, my neighborhood. I've decided where I want to live and everything. So where do you want to move to? Um, that leafy suburb just north of London in Hampstead. It's oh, right. just it's just so nice. But I think that uh the other thing that's happening there is like on Thirty Rock where you go to Cleveland and you have a great time and you want to move to Cleveland. I've only been there yep. when it's been fantastic sunny weather. And <laughs> yeah, I know that the one they, day a year. <laughs> that's right. And um I know that they've got like the sun comes up at seven thirty and sets at four o'clock in the winter about now. It's true. Yeah, so it's brutal. I go to work in the dark and I come Aww. home in the dark. It's it's pretty rough. Aww. Yeah, but it's so, a long. I have a long drive, so it gives, gives me a chance to listen to podcasts and audio books and things. So it's a, it, I try to make you know the best of it. Right. So what's your degree? What do you teach? What's that side of your life? Well, my degree was in actually biblical studies, Old Testament, and preaching. So that was my my aim was to do this degree and go back into like a Bible college or seminary, um, it, you know, environment, which I did. I taught over here in a uh, place in Leeds and Liverpool for about seven or eight years, and then I deconstructed. So now I actually teach like carpentry and that kind of thing at a college over here in England. So I'm totally out of that whole theology. Ah. Obviously, I don't have anything to do with. Any of that, that Wait, background except, sort of Except you do. Carpentry. Uh, yeah. Come on. Hey, Jesus Come was a carpenter. On. <laughs> we Come got on. it. That's you awesome. It. Yeah. That's my connection. So give us the, the Reader's Digest version of, like, why after all of that did you figure, hey, uh, maybe this isn't all it was cracked up to be. Well, my story, I'll give you the super short version. I was going to Bible college and seminary in Portland, down in Oregon, and I was a pastor of a church for about 12 years. And oh, my I, gosh. I really got, yeah, I got burned out in ministry, which is obviously a very common experience. That church actually closed 
not long or just before we moved over here about six or eight months later we moved to the UK so I was completely burned out on the whole topic of church I didn't want to go to church again so part of it was me me deconstructing was getting out of the church experience but I still very much considered myself a Christian I was hoping to reform the church that was part of my drive by getting back into teaching I thought, well, I'll, I'll be able to influence whole generations of men and women coming up in ministry training with my background in, in church ministry to think, you know, things they can avoid right. and help, you know, change the church from within. But the longer I went down that line, the more I was deconstructing and the more difficulty I was having teaching the material, you know, year after year. And finally, they uh, they laid they laid all of us off. It wasn't just me, but... They laid all the staff off because the school ran out of money, and I realized now that was the best thing that they ever could have done because I was, like I say, having a harder and harder time sort of maintaining the party line. So that wow. was my way out of the of teaching anyway, but then I got a job teaching carpentry, weirdly, a few years later, so that's what I'm doing now. Wow. So what was like the turning point? Did you have one, or was it just the frog in the warm water that yeah it was the frog because i can see now even when i was a pastor i was starting to get into progressive christianity which you know guys like brian mclaren rob bell Mm -hmm. uh, donald miller i was reading those kind of books and it was it was starting to i was starting to deconstruct my fundamentalist background right i was raised a total fundamentalist in the bill gothard stuff in the 70s and 80s so I was ditching a lot of those dogmas, sort of thing, and then um, it was it was that was my journey out. I guess it, it took a long time. I was questioning things and jettisoning a lot of the crap that I used to believe. So by the end of it, I, there was nothing left. You know, it was like every piece kept sloughing off to the point uh-huh. where there was not much left, and there was no faith left either. Yeah. Wow. But it took about ten years, I guess, to really kind of yeah. melt it all down and, and shake it all out. I guess. It really does take a long time, and a lot of yeah. our listeners, you know, who are going through difficult times, or they're coming out as non-believers and all that. I, of course, you want to think I will be out of this pain and questioning soon, but mm-hmm. it really, uh, according to how deep in you were and for how long, you're going to have that going out. You know, you're going to and have- I. And I think how much your parents were into it mm-hmm. oh, seems yeah. right. to be a lot. Because when I listen to you and your episode where you talk to your friend Jeff Judd from high school, yeah. he seems to be me, like the, the one who just laughs at it all and has always been kind of a little bit more removed. Like mm-hmm. Karen's parents were very much into church. My mom wasn't, but I got into going to church and bought into everything. But then I always had this kind of arm's distance thing of, well, wait a minute. Well, if you can't share the good word with a kid on an island, then really how fair is that? And I always had the the questions like that and thought, "Mm, this is a little bit something I can't say. I can't stake my life on any of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you were done, your last straw, you were like done. I was similar to Clint, you know, took, took a lot longer. So you were raised in it from day one like me? I was raised in it, but unlike you, we could watch heathen television. Mm. 
and <laughs> yeah, uh, we had no TV at mean, all. You right, mean, we could just watch television. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all heated. What do, you, what do you do with your days if you can't watch television? Oh, I read books when I was a kid. Played outside. You know, that's what we did. Rode our bikes and did the kid things. We, you know, we never had a TV, so I never missed it. We could go up and watch the Muppet Show on Fridays. <laughs> Right. From seven seven thirty to eight on Fridays, and that was it at my grandmother's house. And we had to be back promptly by like eight oh five, or we'd get a spanking. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah. that was the only TV we were allowed all week. So we never really missed it. We didn't have no. it. We never had it from day one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, and but I at think... night after it's dark, I guess you would read. Yeah, and I do just homework. Read books. Did you just yeah. have to do it by a candle? Were you allowed <laughs> electricity? Yeah, we we had electricity, shockingly, believe it or not, even though it was Seattle. We didn't, <laughs> didn't have to read by candlelight. Yeah. Well, wow. I was, so, yeah, my parents were, uh, were Christians. They were Southern Baptist. Um, my dad had converted from nominal Catholicism. Uh, you know, did the whole thing. He was a deacon. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in that. And my brother was in that and all that. And so Bonnie, her my mom, grandparents, yeah, mm. no, mm. they lived at the end of our street. So when we were like one and a half, we met each other. And because wow. Bonnie's mother worked, um, you know, my family would be like, we're going to church. Okay. So everything we did just for rides and making everything easier, Bonnie because, did. So Yeah, but we went to the same Baptist day school. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, we would need to be the same place at the same time. And um, then, of course, we kept up with the youth group in high school. And oh, then yeah. for the first two years of college, we went to a Baptist university affiliated I... with the church and then uh, yeah. i left and karen she stayed left. right right so you stuck it out karen um i'm i'm a committed person that's right i'm a christian <laughs> oh i was in deep and then i i became a full-time overseas missionary after that um and then when we returned to the states you know things started uh, my husband was quicker than i was with the deconversion he mm-hmm. had that doubt situation I didn't. Um, But, you know, sort of what you said is right. And I'm wondering with COVID, too, when you're out of the church physically, you begin to have a distance that makes you be able to not be as afraid and be able to look at things in a Mm -hmm. different way. And that's what was happening on the mission field. And when we returned, we couldn't find a church, you know, that I think that's why they're Mm -hmm. scared to death of COVID too, because people are going to stay home on Sunday mornings and enjoy life. And they're going to stay home on Wednesday evenings and they're not going to have anywhere to easily give money. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're scared. They're freaking out. They're yeah, running yeah. scared. I think you're absolutely right. Because as you say, once you miss something out for that long, you start mm-hmm. to go, wait a minute, do, did I really need this? And in fact, I'm perhaps better off without it. Yeah. <laughs> Shockingly. you know. And the pastor cannot have that, man. I wonder if that's some of the reason they're, some of these guys are fighting so hard to have people come back in, even though, yeah, it's, it's in clear defiance of all. COVID protocols. You're, they're, they're putting people's lives at risk 
It's absolutely insane. It's it become is. a death cult. It really has. It really It's just has. crazy. Yeah, it has. Yeah. And we can discuss that even more. I just turned in an article I hope will uh, go up this mm-hmm. week, but it um, sort of names a few of our favorites. Oh, and yes. that can actually maybe go right into our question that we we were all emailing about. Mm-hmm. Which of these people would you punch in the throat <laughs> if you could? And that, you know... I have ones that I would just like to look up and down and make mm. them feel bad about themselves. That's but not yeah. possible. Other ones I want to punch in the fr- throat. Yeah. yeah. None of them well, we are guess. going to feel bad about themselves. I know. Exactly. In They're my fantasy. Down. Oh, well, you can have that. Okay. Yeah. In your fantasy world, That's maybe it. they'll apologize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and we got we got some. I tweeted about this earlier just before we went on the air and a bunch of people responded because I said, oh, I'm going to be talking with Karen and Bonnie, and what what top five evangelicals would you like to punch in the throat? So <laughs> the list that I had, some names got added to that, and I was like, oh, damn it! I should have put I should have put their name on. Was there That's a clear so winner? Uh, well, Sean Foyt comes up a bunch. <laughs> uh, they Pastor they took Locke. mine. They just stole yeah. mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, Paula White, Kane. Um, Carl Lentz is a new one. Yeah. Who, this scandal is just unfolding even as we speak, and there's a lot to talk about there. I'd love to. Let's we'll oh, hit man. that up. It's so. a mess. Yeah. So I don't know if you read it, but did you did you see that in I think the New York Post they had an article by the woman who Carl was messing around with? Yes. She yeah. she's now coming forward, isn't she? Yeah, she talks about yeah, the whole thing about how side. they met each other in a park and mm-hmm. how she said, she said, um, when he put my name in the notes section of his phone's apps instead of the contacts, I should have known something was up. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-huh, okay. Well, well Bonnie, you know how, how they found out about it? It was his wife, wasn't it? Because he, he linked somehow, he's, got, he's, an, he's one of these Mac guys, everything's... Connected up in oh, the cloud, yeah. and he put some stuff in the iCloud or the Apple thing, and his wife found it at work, and so uh, everybody was standing around, and that's how what? she's like, "Whoa, who the hell is this?" In his account, this woman, and they're sending love poems and pictures back and forth, and yeah. The <laughs> weird thing, you know, terrible. did you know that Hillsong's fired her too? Yes. Yes. What, Which, what did she do? That's it. The, uh, Bonnie I mean, and I talked about this. She had the affair. This. Yep, it's, it's crazy. patriarchy yeah. 101. But, Bonnie, you were saying something about how his apology didn't point out I sinned against my wife. It was like yeah. uh, against uh, my marriage. Against my marriage. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. mean. yeah, and it's on and on. But Bonnie also pointed out that I think it is Lintz and David Koresh <laughs> Have the same glasses. <laughs> and then I yeah. found a picture of Sean Foyt. And he is the same. And we're mm. like, is it the glasses? Maybe it's the glasses. It could be. <laughs> it could be the and glasses. so does that serial killer, the one who killed his family. And because they had been broke. And then he ended up having the Tiffany stained glass thing in the ceiling of his house. What was that guy? List? Mm. Is that his name? I don't um, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he wore glasses. the same glasses. Yeah, because when mm. they constructed this 
<laughs> the sculpture of his face. The guy was like, this is the kind of glasses this jerk would wear. <laughs> and it had Sean Foy, Carl Lentz glasses. Uh, <laughs> See? Must be the glasses. Yeah. That's the connection. It's a connection. Yeah. They say, we're not into conspiracy theories at all. Not at all. <laughs> nope. nope. It is not the glasses. <laughs> They're behind it. It's the deep state somehow, you know. Well, I remember when I was a missionary and I was with a group and I I can't remember. I was always crying and upset about, oh, I don't feel as close to God as it seems you guys mm-hmm. are. You're hearing words of prophecy that mention your name and go on and on like... Dearest Karen, I love you with, you know, they would be writing down what God is saying to them. Super spiritual. But hold on, because exactly what you're saying goes into what happened with, um, with Clint, with, uh, he, he got baptized three times. That's true. Oh, you had to make sure it took. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It didn't take the first two times. No, no. How many times did you get baptized? One. Duh. Oh, just once? Yeah, it's, me just, just once too, but the doubt. But I got oh, the yeah. rededication and all that. Oh, yeah. But I remember not, you know, feeling I was as close to God as mm-hmm. the others. And someone looked at my wrist and said, where'd you get that leather bracelet? And I was like, oh, I got it last year in Hawaii. And um, it had little sort of like little totems. And they're like. You need to take that off because (laughs) there could be a spiritual thing attached to that, spiritual ties. And I'm like, damn, I love that bracelet. Got to get rid of it. And yeah, and got rid of it. Holding it back. Unbelievable. And did you have a spiritual breakthrough after that? um, You know, (laughs) when I finally did... Everything God said to me was very complimentary. (laughs) (laughs) You obeyed me and threw away that, you know, pagan bracelet. That's it. But that's what they told me. That's why I got baptized the third and final time, because a pastor told me basically that what was wrong with me spiritually was that I I wasn't being obedient to God and I needed to get baptized a third time. So I did. I was a youth pastor when I got baptized for the third time. (laughs) I was like 26, 27 years old. I was was already at Bible college. I was a youth pastor. And I went to the pastor and I'm like, I got to get baptized. You know, he's like, wait a minute, you're our youth pastor. What are you talking about? You got to get baptized. So he did. We did it in front of the whole youth group in the river down there, you know, outside of Portland, Oregon. And uh, it was a hilarious story, looking back on it now. But I was so sure that I was going to have a big spiritual breakthrough after right. that. Yeah. You know, because I was, I was being obedient to God. Yeah. And, and you were leading a, by example. And, and, yep, that's and it And the river scene is always... Oh, it was all there. Yeah, better yep, than... Yep, mm-hmm. it was purer so, than being in a baptistry. <laughs> the first time you were baptized, didn't your father do it? And you thought, well, yes. that surely can't be kosher. That's, well, yeah, that's that not the was, right that's word, how, but... Yeah, I was about 10 or 11, and I'd seen that movie, A Thief in the Night, and I was terrified I was going to get <laughs> left behind in the rapture. Yep, yep. And so, yeah, I went to the pastor, what do I need to do to become a Christian? He said, you got to get baptized. So, yes, my dad did the ceremony. He did the actual baptism. And then about three or four years later, I got baptized again. And the the next pastor, the guy that I was talking to about my problems, he said, well, maybe that's what's, what's wrong. Maybe it didn't work because it wasn't <laughs> done by a pastor. So your dad can't do it. He's not, you know, legitimized by the church. He's not recognized. Oh. I'll do it this time, he said, by the right formulas and everything. Oh. And then we'll get you, you know, straightened away here. 
and it didn't work. So I had to do it a third time. My God. Wow. Yeah, but it's it's really comforting to know that other people had all these doubts as well. Mm Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't talk to a lot of people who don't totally. have yeah, the doubts. We all did. Yeah, and that's so, the thing. Some someone said, "Well, the the apologetics that we get into convince the believers that what they're believing is true." You know, it's not really for convincing unbelievers, even though that's what they say it's for. Books yeah. like Josh McDowell and stuff. It's to help convince Christians that yeah, you're you're right, you're okay. You know, you're not. Don't worry about it. You know, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. So my other question to you: Do you have any good rapture prank stories? Well, I never pranked anybody, but man, I sure have a rapture story. That, it ain't funny, but it's funny, I guess now. But it happened to me when I was about probably fourteen, thirteen. I came mm-hmm. home and there was nobody home, and I freaked <laughs> out, mm-hmm. thinking I'd been left behind. And I've since found out that that's happened to so many people that kind of thing as young kids and they are terrified that they've gotten left behind especially if you've seen those kind of movies like the left behind series or thief in the night totally i did it i went to school of course you know these are the days where your parents drop you off don't care they don't see anyone, eh? so oh, that's I went okay. there by <laughs> myself. All there is is a pay phone. I think I had to ask some janitor. Of course, it's Labor Day, but yeah, I was like, "That's it. Oh. Everyone's gone." Yeah, and they um, forgot. But they forgot that there was no choir rehearsal or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was yeah. school, but it could have been choir rehearsal. It was Labor know, Day. <laughs> <laughs> we lived there. We lived. Forgot the calendar. <laughs> That would be about right. Well, we have had some of our favorite episodes are our letter sodes where people write in mm. and we read their funny church stories. And there are some hilarious but painful stories. One of my favorite is some girls in a Baptist college. I think it was girls decided to prank one of their uh, the people on the hall by she was supposed to come over to their dorm, so they just laid out their clothes with the shoes, the pants, like they'd been raptured out of them. Yep. And so she went, and she was, like, freaked, but, you know, not too much. So she ran to some other room that they knew she would run to, and that person had done the same. So yep. then she Everybody started screaming and all that. And you're so like, cruel. Yeah. And then really someone is. walked down the hallway and she grabbed him and said, we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be here. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's religious trauma syndrome, though. It really totally. is, isn't it? I mean, it's, you laugh about it now, but, I mean, God, it, you know, as a, as a kid or a young person, you don't have the capacity to process those traumatic experiences. And it's doing damage psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. That we have to then process years later. It's sad, man. It really is. We were saying, you know, or or I tweeted something about, you know, thinking about all the kids right now, especially who just keep hearing from their parents that these are the end times. Like we Mm -hmm. all were living through that anyway. Yeah. We were all saying, Jesus, don't come back till I get married. Um, You know, we all lived with that thing that Jesus could come any minute, but especially what's going on politically here, I'm Mm -hmm. sure it's ramped up even more. 
Absolutely. <laughs> or or has it? I mean, this has been going on forever. I I liked there was an episode where you were saying that your friend Bob didn't go to college even though he had yeah. a full scholarship because his dad said oh, it's a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is coming, is coming back. That's right. Don't <laughs> um, waste your time, boy. <laughs> that breaks my heart. So did you ever it's get sad. Bob on your show? You know what? I did talk to him um, a couple months after that episode with Jeff came out, and we were going to. He's really elusive on social media. Like you'll Mm -hmm. message him on Facebook, and he'll get back to you about six months later. You know, so he's really hard to get a hold of. So we were supposed to do a chat and sort of give the other side of the story to Mm -hmm. because Jeff, yeah, he's he's hilarious. I mean, I see him every every time I go to Seattle, but Bob lives down in San Diego, so I don't really get down there that much anymore. So yeah, it's it's a bit harder to see these guys sometimes, but yeah, I, I definitely need to try to reach out to him because he's got an interesting story that kind of goes along with what Jeff was talking about. You've been asking me questions. You talked about um, our backstories. Why did you start your podcast? That was one of the questions that we were going to kick around. That's right. Why did you start your show? Okay, Bonnie kept bugging me. I didn't want to do it. She's like, but we have so many funny stories. But, I mean, a lot of our funny stories when we talked were about other people. Like, remember the time? Blah, mm-hmm. blah, did this and blah, you know. But she's like, we should just do a podcast like Ricky Gervais does or, you know. Yeah, um, and yeah we, I've been wanting to do a podcast since his came out. And that was so long ago. If we had just figured out a topic that many years ago, we would have been the Joe Rogans. Hey, Joe, you could have been huge. (laughs) Talk about. Um, Yeah, because, you know, people love to listen to women and uh, especially (laughs) (laughs) with any authority or whatever. But, yeah, so she kept saying that. And I love murder podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, And so there's my favorite murder, which I really like uh, by these two comic women And so we're like, well, why don't we do it in that sort of format? And Mm -hmm. we began, and it was terrible. Not only our audio, but we tried to make, like, segments and figure everything out and all that. So it's evolved a lot. But I think once we had people listening to us, because oddly— Bonnie has never revealed who she is, mm-hmm. and I haven't posted on social media like Facebook that I'm doing this. So all the, quote, listens we were getting, we knew it was people we didn't know. Yeah, so I think that's what started it. Like, oh, there's people that need this or whatever. And You and I, Bonnie hasn't, have been on the Graceful Atheist podcast, Mm -hmm. which I really like also. Yeah. And, you know, it's great that there's these different niches. And we are dedicated to trying to stay in our lane so so people always know what they get when they come to us, you know. And it's it's definitely... um, yeah, just bringing identity. Yeah, bringing up the old memories, letting them have a little bit of a release because we know that they're dealing with like straight up difficult things that you're discussing um mm. and you know getting inspired with different stories on graceful atheist and 
looking back in their Bible to see what it really means, going back to yours. You know, so I think the more people that get involved in this side of things, the better for people deconverting because there's tons of them and it's going to expand even more if these statistics keep up. If people keep staying home with COVID. I yeah, just want to bust in. To do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just want to bust in and say I think that right before we started, one of the conversations we had was really animated when I was at Starbucks and ran into one of our Sunday school teachers who was mm. also one of our substitute teachers at day school. And she and I talked and it was lovely and it was jovial and it was so casual. And I was so glad to see her. And I was like, I always did like her. So We both leave Starbucks. I'm going to my car, and across the parking lot, she yells to me, Are you going to church? And then... Why I why I didn't lie, I'm not sure. But I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not going anywhere here locally. And then she, you know, basically got around to telling me, I'm going to pray for you. And that Mm -hmm. just ruffled me for some reason. Like, if you want to pray for me, lady, just do it. Don't tell me you're going to pray for me. Why do you have to say it? Why do you have to tell me? (laughs) It's like, I'm going to be praying for you, so I'm going to want you to go to church. And next time we run into each other, (laughs) I need a different answer. (laughs) Uh, It's not going to work. It's so true. It's it's just an assumption, isn't it? I ran into some guys that I went to high school with. In Seattle, one of the times I was there a couple years ago on a Sunday morning, and Ooh. I walk in to get coffee for everybody, uh, and I was going to bring it back home to my in-laws' house, and here's these three guys sitting at a table, and it turns out they're all three pastors, and they're just going over for a quick cup of coffee before the service starts. You know the story, mm-hmm. talking about the service that they're going to preach about, blah blah blah, and they're like, "Hey, it's Clint. You know, I haven't seen you in forever." What church are you going to? That was the first question. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, really? I mean, okay. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's just an assumption, isn't it, that you're plugged into a church somewhere? Yeah, it yeah. is. And we got that. So I live in the South, and we have daughters. I actually got more than once, you know, when the kids were little and someone, you know, was going to come over to play or whatever parents asking me what church we went to as Mm -hmm. that would be the measurement of if their kid could come over and play and i'll tell you this both my girls have graduated from high school one from college so far and none of them compare to the shithead kids that went to church who were monsters just (laughs) monsters ironic isn't it yeah and they're so concerned about you not going to church, and yet their right. kids are little bastards. They are. They just so always true. were catty. or yeah, Karen, yeah. they're yep. not perfect. They're just forgiven. Oh, oh that's, that's right. right. <laughs> Thank you for that. Ah, so a little christian thrown in there. Mm-hmm. My great theological comment on that is you've had at least 2,000 years where you now have a direct, through Jesus— pipeline to God, then we should be able to see some kind of manifestation that you are more moral than atheists. Right. Like there should be something. By now, surely. Yes. You think you'd have figured it out by now. And and that's one of the things I love about your show is that, yes, it's funny and you tell funny stories, but I guess you're laughing through the tears in some, some cases, isn't it? Because 
you go, oh my God, I mean, Christians can be so cruel to each other. You know, yeah. that's the one thing I remember vividly about not just being a pastor, but being a church member for years and years, just the, the gossip and the slander and the horrible politics in churches. And it's just vicious at times, you know, and think, God, really? These people are supposed to be plugged into this lifeline of a loving God. And yet right. some of the worst people I've ever had in my life were my fellow Christians. And they treat people like shit. They treated me like shit as a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the reasons why I walked away. I said, I've never, ever want to have anything to do with Christians again. I'm done wow. with yeah. Christians. I still want to be a Christian, but I don't want to have anything to do with Christians because some of them are just horrible people. Why is that? You know, it shouldn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. There should be one thing where we can go, you know, hey, I want to have what that person's having. And that's what our pastors always said. Live like, you know, that so someone will look at you and say, I want what they have in their life. What? That's the end. You're just going to leave us with that, Clint and Vonnie and dear Karen. Yeah, that's it for now. We have the other half coming at you really soon, so stay with us.